oftentimes they will take it out on a stepkid. And in some cases, they even take it out on their spouse. And it's almost like they don't know what to do about their own kid. And so any little thing that a, that a stepkid does just kind of sets them off. And so the target switches from the biological kid, which is where the target should be because they're the one causing the issue. It switches to the stepkid because they're just an easier target. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 235 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Welcome to December the 1st, y'all. Y'all, it's the month of Xanax. <laughs> it's the month to end all years. I tell you, I'm <laughs> going to reach out to the pharmaceutical company and for Xanax and say, would you like to be a sponsor of our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and some wine and some wine people. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's but don't mix your Xanax with wine. That's not safe. <laughs> oh, boy. So we're getting off to a good start. We are. It's been crazy with the holidays already. Yep. yep. And we have another month to go. Mm-hmm. And y'all, we see this all the time. Step parents will say, that stepkid ruined my Christmas. Don't have expectations that you're going to have this perfect Christmas. It's not going to be like it is on the Hallmark Channel? No. What? No. Unless it's like grandma got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> Home alone. Stepmom got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> that, that, that reminds me, you and I were in uh, drive through yesterday. <laughs> Oh, what did I do? <laughs> we were in the drive-thru, and it's a double drive-thru, so you're like right beside of somebody else who's ordering. And and so I look over to the right, because you hear the lady that's trying to take the order, and she keeps saying, what do you want to drink? No. Like, what do you want to drink? <laughs> no. What do you want to drink? And I'm like, what in the world? And I look over there, and this lady, she has this, the most sour look on her face. And I looked at Lori, I thought, she must be a stepmom. <laughs> <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah, and finally, after the lady answered him, she's like, we don't have any of that. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, poor lady. Yeah, everybody looked kind of grumpy I know. that day. Because we would see people walk past us to go in the restaurant, and Dave is like, they don't look happy. Yeah, they don't Mary. look happy. <laughs> Merry freaking Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the Grinch. <laughs> so speaking of Christmas, we often talk about gifts and whether or not they should go to the other home. I don't recall with Jackson telling him he couldn't take anything to his dad's. I don't recall you doing that with your kids. In fact, I remember your kids taking the PlayStation to their moms and you having to meet her on Mondays after school to get it back or give it to her, whatever. So a lot of step-parents and bio-parents will say, no, little Johnny, I bought that for you, or Santa brought that to you at our house. It is not going to your other parents' house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I, I think you have to ask yourself, why are you doing it? Like, are you doing it because 
there's other kids there that might tear it up or they might lose it. Or maybe even there's a fear that the, their mom or dad <laughs> would tear it up. Mm-hmm. Or their or, mom or dad's significant other. Right. Which we've seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, so there's always that. But if it is, I don't want him to take it over there because I don't like my significant ex-significant other. I don't like that person so much that I don't want my kid taking this stuff over there. Then I think that's a that's a bad reason to do it. Right. In the past, if every time you had sent something with the kid or the mm-hmm. kid took something and it gets lost or broken, then you have a valid reason. Yeah. But as Lori often says, don't let the disdain for your ex outweigh the love for your child. Amen, brother David. Amen. <laughs> but it's true. And it's funny because, like I said, I don't remember going through this with Jackson because he was at his dad's every other weekend, and you were pretty flexible with your kids on taking stuff. We did have the clothes issue where whatever they wore over here, we washed and they wore it back just because it was easier that way. No, it wasn't just because it was easier that way. It was because the good clothes never seemed to find their way back. Clothes. We could do a whole month-long <laughs> podcast on clothes. But anyway, as a step-grandparent, I see comments of family members saying, well, I'd like to get this for little Johnny, but I don't want it to go to his mom's. Mm -hmm. Or I'd like to get this for little Susie, but it has to stay at her dad's. Yeah. How do you, as the person not in that home, okay, I'm not the step-parent. I'm not the bio-parent. I am an in-law. I am a step-grandparent, or I am the grandparent, whatever. Do you give the gift and say, by the way, this must stay at your house? If I was the parent, I would hand the gift back, and I would say, when you're ready to give me a, a gift that has no conditions on it, then let me know. Yes. And that brings me to another thing. If you have conditions with your gifts, don't give them. If little Johnny's not going to say thank you and you're going to say, well, I should have never gave it to him, don't give it to him. That's conditions. That's not a gift. Mm. Oh, man, you are all over it today. Well, I tell you what. (laughs) I saw somebody post in our Facebook group that this stepkid has C's and D's. But they cannot believe the kid had the audacity to provide them with a Christmas list. Since when do school grades and Christmas <laughs> presents equate? Maybe there, maybe it's Mrs. Claus. Maybe she's Mrs. Claus and she has the naughty list. Maybe she's Mrs. Grinch. <laughs> my my answer would be like Join the even, Nacho Kids Academy is the why, answer to that lady. Why do you even know where the grades are? Boom yow. Why do you care? Boom, I mean, yeah. You, you can care. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. You can care. You can care all day long. <laughs> it's all, but it's, it's useless. Yeah. Lori likes to uh, likes to bring up how there are things that she cared about with my kids, but she couldn't affect any of the change that she wanted to affect. So what difference did it make? Like, yep. You know, you got to understand where you are in the blend. At mm-hmm. some point, you might be able to do that. You might be able to care and affect change. But if you're mm-hmm. not at that point, then the only person you're hurting is yourself. 
So I'm curious, what are your thoughts to our listeners on gifts going to the other home? Yeah, let, let us, us know, know in the comments. I don't think there's a comment section, Goober. I know, and there's not. <laughs> <laughs> I want to okay. see how many I want to see how many of you start looking for the comment section. <laughs> yeah. My new word for apparently the this last month of the year is goober. Everybody's a goober. Oh, I have a new phrase I'm living by. They'll figure it out. <laughs> That's David's <laughs> phrase. And it's driving me crazy because every time I say something to him, he goes, they'll figure it out. Or he'll throw his hands up with that, I don't care. They'll figure it out. (laughs) Our guest today is Carrie Kling. We have been a guest on her show, and she was a pleasure to talk to. So we had to have her on ours. She is a stepkid herself. Her parents divorced when she was seven. And she was part of three blended families within four years. Good Lord. Poor thing. Could you imagine? No, you just have, when somebody says a comment like that, you just have to sit and let it marinate and go, man. (laughs) Yeah. So we're not going to spoil anything. We're just going to let you get to listening to our interview with Carrie. All right, let's get into it. Today, we have Carrie Kling. Hey, Carrie Kling, how are you? Hey, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm delighted to be here. And David's here too, y'all. I know, that's rare. Very rare. (laughs) So Carrie, tell us about you. (laughs) Well, I want to give you my background first so you know, the the listeners know where I'm coming from. I'm a 40-year veteran educator and counselor. And during COVID, I started having one-on-one parent coaching sessions because we were all locked up and everyone needed a little bit of support and help. And one thing led to another. And long story short, a year ago, I was given the opportunity to create and host my own global television show dedicated to parenting. And it's called... Parenting GPS, Navigating Your Parenting Journey. And it's been an honor to be able to have so many people on my show, including Lori and David, both of you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with my listeners. That's amazing because when you said the name of the show, I could tell that your video TV voice came out. (laughs) (laughs) I am used to saying it now. That's true. That's true. So you are helping parents all across the board, not just step parents and not just bio parents, but parents. Exactly. And I have a lot of grandparents that actually I've learned our our viewers um, of my, my television show. We look at things, everything that's parenting related family relationships, behavior, learning, health, and so much more. You need to have a step-grandparent. You know what? That that could be another show. That would be great. Set me up. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's really, um, it's something that we're embarking on now. Well, I am. The step-grandparent role. And it's interesting. Yeah, it is. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Let's let's talk about it either today or at another time. And it's it's a great idea for another show because I, I know there are a lot of people out there dealing with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because now now you have to navigate not just the stepkids, but the stepkids spouses and their kids. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's second generation nacho. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's like oh, it sounds like a whole new course for you guys <laughs> to help people. Yeah. I know. Oh, we get plenty of content with these kids. Don't worry about that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure true. you do. But I just would like to invite anybody out there that. You know, one of the things about parenting and and blended families, all of it, is that most of us are just thrown into it and there's no course, there's no, which is so wonderful that you're, you both are doing what you're doing, but we're just thrown into the role of parenting and everyone feels that they're just supposed to know. And sometimes, you know, if you look at the highlight reels on social media, it looks like all my other friends have it figured out and I don't feel like I do. And I think there's also a lot of shame in that. And I'm really trying to, to dispel that feeling that we're all supposed to know it all. And also to dispel the feeling of waiting until there's a crisis before you seek help. Yes. It's about yeah. prevention as much as possible. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody has that. It won't happen to me syndrome. And so until they're in the middle of the crisis, they don't seem to think it'll happen to them. And I think that that was us really. Well, not really because we did read the books and we did the research and we met with counselors and we met with preachers. We Yeah, we did we did the pre-work, but when we started having problems, we didn't run straight to Oh no, yeah, we were in the depths of you know where by that time. Yeah, it was Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so even though he's saying you're right, but yeah, you're right. (laughs) Well, well, you know, whether we're talking about what you, you know, are sharing your wisdom around the world about, about blended families. And and as you know, I have some some experience with that as a kid, which I know we're going to talk about or anything with parenting. You know, we live in a hurry up world. And for so many families, especially with, you know, children still, you know, pretty young where you're driving them everywhere and doing everything, you know, that you can for them. There doesn't feel sometimes like there's a lot of time to sit and catch your breath and say, okay, what can I do? Because you're just running to the next thing. And I think that that's really something in our society that we all have to take a step back you know, and, and smell the roses as they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So you were part of a blended family. I was actually part of three blended families within four years as a <laughs> child. And it was a very tumultuous time in my life. It was during a time I'm going to age myself here. It was my parents got divorced when I was seven years old in the 60s, the late 60s, well, mid 60s. And both of them remarried within just really a month of each other in 1970. And so that was two blended families right there. And then two years later, well, my mother had a a baby with her second husband. So that brought in a half brother, not a stepbrother. And then a year later, my first stepfather passed away. He was ill. And two years later, she remarried again. And so for someone in the 70s, when things like this weren't talked about, nobody checked in about, you know, and I'm not blaming my parents at all. They, you know, no, it just wasn't something that was thought about generationally. But there was this feeling that kids are resilient, you know, they'll just be okay. And one of the things that I'm so happy about 
in terms of, you know, living in 2023 right now, social media and the internet can have its negative effects, but it also can be an enormous resource for people that are saying, okay, wait a minute, I'm getting divorced, or I'm in a blended family, or, you know, my kids are feeling such and such way. Where should I turn? What should I do? And so there are so many more resources now than there were when I was a child growing up. It was just kind of covered over and just kind of accepted as, okay, this is the new norm. Just, you know, eat your breakfast and go to school. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I know when I was growing up, there were not that many kids in my class that their parents were divorced. Mm. Like two. I remember specifically two. And one girl would go to her dad's every other weekend. And the other girl was um, her dad had moved. So she didn't see him except for during the summer. But other than that, it was not the norm. And now it is. It is rare that you find kids in the school that their parents are together. And I know growing up, too, I would hear people say, oh, he's been divorced. Like it's something terrible, like a disease. You don't want to go out with him. He's been divorced. And over the years, of course, we've seen that change to where divorce is so much more acceptable. It's not as taboo as it used to be. Yeah. You know, you bring up a, a really good point, Lori. And I remember when I was going to elementary school and my parents divorced, there was only one other family that I knew of in the entire school whose parents were divorced. And I remember I must have been maybe a fifth grader at the time. I remember my mother crying, sitting in the chair, crying in the in the kitchen. And I remember asking her what was wrong. And she said, she told me that all of her friends didn't want to hang out with her anymore and didn't want to talk with her and, and do things with her because she was the quote unquote divorcee. Yep. And there was this unspoken fear of you're going to go after my husband or my <laughs> husband now knows you're available. <laughs> and you're right. Things have changed immensely. But one of the things that I try to do, and I work with a lot of parents one-on-one -on -one in situations like this and, and many other situations there's still a need, even though it's common, it's not common for that child. Right. So they, they might not be, you know, odd man or odd woman or girl out anymore. They're still feeling that hurt and pain inside and they still need to process their feelings and they need to understand that it's not their fault. Yes. There have been several longitudinal studies. One of them is a book, The Legacy of Divorce. The author is escaping me at this moment, but it was a 25-year study looking at children of parents that had divorced when they were like elementary school, middle school aged. And there might have been high school in there too. I don't remember. I'm sorry. But, but they looked at what were the findings? What were the commonalities? What were the difficulties that these children had? because their parents divorced. And it's very interesting that one of the commonalities of all of these kids, no matter how old they were, no matter where they lived, no matter what their socioeconomic situation was, is that somewhere deep inside, they felt like they did something wrong mm -hmm. that caused their parents divorce. And I think the number one thing that I always try to share with parents is even if you feel like you've, you've said it a hundred times, Keep talking about it at different 
ages, you know, so maybe the divorce was five years before. Well, if the child is five years older, let's say they're a teenager now, they're going to have different emotions to be able to deal with what happened and the way they reflect upon how it impacted their life may or may not be the same. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important for parents, even if your blended family is the most wonderful, loving situation that could ever be, it's still important to remember that there was another family dynamic at one time. Yes. So let's talk about you. Okay. Your parents split up. All of a sudden, you're a stepkid on both sides. Yep. Three times, as I said. we, My sister and I were... In fact, I spoke to her today and I said, did you realize that we were part of three step families in four years? I mean, did it did did you ever really think about that? And she said, well, we're just special. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to look at it. <laughs> but, you know, at the time, you know, you talked about people, you know, you didn't know any other divorce families or there was one or two. And I knew one other family in my school. The only thing I remember even seeing on television or in the movies, there was a movie that came out. I don't even remember. I probably saw it in like 1970. And it was called With Six You Get Egg Roll. And it was the story about these two families that, you know, it was like pre-Brady Bunch who joined forces. They got married And they were trying, they went off to this Chinese restaurant for dinner and they were talking about the good things of having a blended family. I don't even know that they called it a blended family. So I didn't have a lot of role models of a healthy relationship growing up. But the good news, and and we'll get to this, I, I really hope that this podcast and my speaking about this, this is the first time I've spoken about this publicly, is that it gives parents hope, parents who have been divorced, parents who are in a blended family, maybe it's a wonderful situation, maybe it's a situation where there's some struggle. I want to share with you as our time goes on today, that it doesn't mean if your child doesn't have the role model of a healthy relationship growing up, that it, that they can't have a relationship that's healthy and long-term in their lives. My husband and I just celebrated Two days ago, we celebrated our 40th anniversary of our first date. And Uh we've been together, married almost 38 years. So it is possible. Yes. It took a lot of work and reflection and analysis on my part Mm -hmm. growing up before I met my husband. Yeah. So you got a stepmom and a stepdad. At the beginning, yes. At the beginning. And... Were they similar situations or was a blend with your mom? Was it completely different than the blend that you had at your dad's? I would see that all, say that all of the blends were different. And I wouldn't say that, you know, they were all good or all bad. They were all just different. The thing that was most difficult for me as a child was that When my mother remarried my first stepfather before he got sick, they decided that we were going to move across the country. And so it wasn't just divorce. And now I have two step parents who, by the way, also had their own children. So it was, you know, a stepbrother and a stepsister and then a stepbrother. It was also the dynamic of moving across the country away from my dad, which was, you know, that's hard enough. 
put the other stuff on it. But I think the thing that that sticks out in my mind all these years later was that I still remember how it felt to feel that the way my sister and I, who are full, fully related, you know, blood sisters, was so different with my stepfather than his own biological child. And it was really a unique situation because after we moved out out west, he became very ill and he was ill for a long time. Well, a couple of years and then he passed away. But his son, who was a teenager at the time, was also a drug addict. And the the dichotomy of the way we were treated because he was a drug addict, he was doing the drugs, he crashed some cars, he told his father who was sick, I hope you die, I don't care if you die. I mean, just really oh disrespectful, yeah. awful, awful things. And nothing ever happened to him. He never got in trouble. He was never yelled at. He was never told you're being disrespectful. This isn't how we treat each other. Yet if my sister or I left a sock on the floor, it felt like all hell broke loose because we were then called slobs and, you know, why can't you pick up your things? And, you know, I, I can't believe that, that that happens today, but I know it does. I don't oh, want definitely. to think that it does. And I think that that part of the message that I want to share today is it's not okay. And if you don't know how to get yourself out of that, then please seek professional guidance because it it isn't okay ever at so many levels. Yeah, we, we do see that often, unfortunately, where the stepkids and the bio kids, there's a very different way they're treated. And I think Lori and I understand a lot of why that is now. I I like to joke to say, and say that, you know, God put something in you to make you not want to eat your young when, <laughs> when they're when they're doing crazy stuff. But I can have my kids doing something that is not really getting on my nerves. My stepkid can do the exact same thing and I'm about to flip out mm-hmm. because it's this, you know, same exact noise or whatever it is, but I just I don't have that same reaction to my own kids like it just doesn't bother me it's not there yeah and it's um and it's it's not even a thought process it's just yeah he's stomping through the house so what i'm glad he's here whatever the stepkid is doing i'm like oh my gosh he's gonna tear the floor up he's walking so heavy Mm -hmm. it's just it just happens that way the Mm -hmm. the difference i think with us is that we realize it and we and we know how to handle it and filter it so that it doesn't come out in how we actually act and respond. Right. Because I really don't know. We don't know your stepdad's not here, but he may not have even realized that he treated y'all differently because here we go. It could be, he treated y'all differently because you were girls more so than you were the stepkids. Or did he even realize, Hey, I'm treating Carrie and her sister completely different than I am my son. And maybe he had guilty parent syndrome with his son. Yeah. Or did yeah. or did your mom maybe say something to him like, this is what I expect of them and and you should help me enforce that? Because we do see that sometimes as well. Yeah. And, you know, you're right. There's no way of knowing. And I was just a teenager when he passed away. There is no way of knowing. But I know that 
in many situations in, in my own life during that time and also parents that I, I work with, my mom was trying to be the peacekeeper. And so instead of raising her voice, I, and I don't mean yelling, but you know, standing mm-hmm. up for herself, standing up for us, she was trying to be the peacekeeper and just try to make everything quiet and smooth and, you know, copacetic. And so that was part of it also. And I know that those dynamics still exist within families today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People yeah. feel that they don't have a voice because they feel that if they do, and this is a topic for an, a whole other show, but when you're dealing with a parent who is a narcissist, you know, the conflict can almost be worse in the moment than what you're trying to appease. And so it's, there are many layers, it's very complicated. But the thing that I encourage parents all of the time through my show, through my counseling, is it is not okay not to stand up for what you believe is right for your child. Yes. Mm, Yeah. And we, you know, kind of in that same vein, we also do see where if a parent is having a problem with their biological kid, they they don't know how to handle it all. Oftentimes they will take it out on a stepkid. And in some cases they even take it out on their spouse. And it's almost like they don't know what to do about their own kid. And so any little thing that a, that a stepkid does just kind of sets them off. And so the target switches from the biological kid, which is where the target should be because they're the one causing the issue. It switches to the stepkid because they're just an easier target. Or sometimes mm-hmm. it switches to the stepmom because they're an easier target. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you you two are the experts. You know this, that sometimes, many times, the children become the pawns in this, the step-parent, bio-parent relationship. And it just exasperates everything you're trying to do, not always in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I talk about this all of the time is that in life, and th- this first part goes with being a step parent, a bio parent, a grandparent, everything. In our culture, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but some countries I could. We maintain certain things. We maintain our homes. We maintain our cars. We maintain our electronics. You know, we go to the dentist for, you know, checkups. We go for our physicals. We maintain our bodies. But It's very rare for people to say, you know what, this is how I maintain my family relationships because Mm -hmm. we don't, it's just like automatic pilot. And as I said earlier, so many parents don't seek professional guidance until it's at the point where, okay, we we don't know what to do. Right. And Mm -hmm. if the, the people out there listening today, Really, two things that that are my key points for the day is don't wait for a crisis. I know I already said that. I'll give you an example. I, I had a, um, I, I don't work with her anymore. Uh, she unfortunately became very ill herself. But I had, I was working with a mom who had a, she was a doctor and had a three-year-old. And she said, you know, I've never been a parent before. And I, I don't know all of the things I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to set something up. I want to meet with you for an hour every two or three months just to talk about this is what's happening. This is our next step. This is what's happening in the family. It's that maintenance so that it doesn't ever get to that point. And I know that you work with parents and most of the parents that that are listening to this are probably already in a blended family. But I want to encourage those parents to try to model for your children. You know what? 
whenever there's anything in our lives that isn't going the way we think it should, or we want to just anticipate, okay, what's going to come next? I've mm-hmm. never been the parent of a teenager before. What are some things I, I maybe should be aware to look for? Oh, <laughs> so yeah. To, to react appropriately and not have a reaction, but to be proactive. And so the two things that I really want to share with parents today from, from my heart is the first, again, about not waiting until there's a problem, whether you're still married. And I know, again, that, that your viewership is mostly blended families, but who knows who's listening out there. But to try to prevent the difficulty and the lack of communication or the miscommunication before it starts. And the other part of it, again, and we haven't talked about it and what, what we can still talk about it is when you don't have a healthy relationship of a mother and father growing up, how do you then get yourself to a place where you can have that kind of healthy, stable relationship? Right. Now, I know you were young, but do you remember with your stepdad? I, I know you said he was strict, the, your first stepdad. Did I, I would assume, especially back in the day, that he took on the disciplining role. Not that your mom didn't do anything, but he was probably the heavy. You know, he really wasn't. He just yelled and screamed a lot. And um, <laughs> and then they would fight it out about, well, you know, they should be grounded or not grounded or or whatever. He became ill pretty quickly. And so by, I would say, they they were married for just just two years. And I would say the second year, he didn't really have as much energy to fight with my mother about it, but it was still a knee jerk reaction. Like I said, if there was a sock on the floor, if somebody didn't clean a dish, you know, while his bio son was stealing and doing drugs and yeah, sitting and, on the back porch, smoking a bowl and eating bonbons and you getting fussed. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so you had but to walk then, on eggshells all the time then. All the time. In fact, I remember and I've never told anybody this, but I remember coming home from middle school one day, the bus dropped me off. And I remember walking up to my house, and I could hear the screaming. And I turned around and just walked around the block until I didn't hear the screaming anymore. Wow. So it's, um, you know, I can look back now and say that was pretty dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And but at the time when you're just a kid, and so then, you know, one of the things that that kids do is then they try to overcompensate and then they try to be the peacekeeper because then they, they a lot of kids do feel, oh, well, so-and-so is mad, my mom's mad or my stepdad's mad or stepmom or whomever is mad because I didn't clean my room. I didn't do this. And it goes back to that that long longitudinal study that I mentioned about how so many kids do feel that it's their fault at some level, e- mm-hmm. even if they're not aware of it. Right. Even kids that are adopted. Yeah. Through that that mm-hmm. same mental process. Yes. A lot of kids that are adopted feel that, well, why didn't, you know, it's that, it's that sense of abandonment. If my own mother didn't want me or my own father, bio father didn't want me, then, you know, what's wrong with me kind of thing. Right. What about your stepmom? Was she pretty cool? Was she strict in comparison to your dad? 
because you said you all moved away, moved across right. the country. So you weren't as involved with them, I would assume. I didn't the see them as much. I didn't see them as much because we lived on, on two different sides of the country. You know, so I really for years and years, I saw them once a year at, at Thanksgiving. And, and it was it was always a great time. That was always a great time. And I, I, I never, I never went through anything with my stepmom and my dad, like I did with, you know, my mom and my stepdad, because, you know, I lived with them. Right. Did your stepmom have children of her own? She had two children and we had great, great times, you know, when we would visit them, it was a lot of fun. And I, I wouldn't say that there was ever, you know, conflict there. We loved hanging out with them. They, you know, they were, it was a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad that it was fun for you. And you've got good memories of that because it would suck to have a relationship or a situation like with your stepdad and then go to spend time with your dad and you've got evil stepmom too. Yeah, no, no. But then my mom, after my stepdad, my first stepdad passed away, she remarried two years later and that was, um, you know, it's so, it's so interesting because each blended family was really so different. And, and I can't say, well, one was good, one was bad. It was just different dynamics. But the, when she remarried my second stepfather, which was two years later after she married my first stepfather, uh, he had two sons. And again, it was it, it was just family gatherings in terms of holidays and things like that. It's just you never knew who was going to show up, you know, because <laughs> you don't know, is this person going to be with their mom? Is, are they going to be with us? And it just, it just felt very unstable, I think, mm-hmm. as, as a kid in high school, but a lot of positive, positive, my stepfather. In fact, my, when I got married, when my husband and I got married, it was my father and my stepfather that walked me down the aisle. Really? I had a wonderful relationship with my second stepfather. Yes. That's great. And they they really cared a lot about each other and, you know, made a lot of jokes about it better be a pretty wide aisle <laughs> if they're both going to walk me down the aisle. But, it, you know, it was, it was very positive. But, you know, a lot of people who go through three blended families in four years during a time where people didn't talk about it and there was, you know, we had the Brady Bunch, which I believe started in 69 or 70. And that was really like my first model of oh they're like me you know that's it wasn't the exact same dynamics right they look like us but their dad's not like my stepdad (laughs) right well and it was three boys and three girls and you know just a different dynamic but it was the beginning of oh you know this is what it's it could look like and so I I just you know I remember really latching on to watching that show because it made me feel more normal Hmm. Yeah. You know? Did you ever wonder where your Alice was? <laughs> <laughs> I think I became Alice because <laughs> I always joke, but I'm serious in a way. If we all had an Alice, this blended crap would be a whole lot easier because Alice is the doing the homework. Alice is cooking. Alice is doing the laundry. Alice is picking up the sock that Carrie left on the floor. <laughs> so it just it solves so many problems just to have an Alice. Well, there you go. See, we can, you know, just start a new campaign and and <laughs> yep. solve yep. the problems of the world. So have a blended family housekeeper service. I call it a, I was going to say blended nanny. Yeah, blended nanny. There you go. Yep. I love it. Nanny I love service. It. 
And it, and then it could be Nacho Nanny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing I, I, I really want to share is, and I already mentioned this, but I didn't say the how, is so how how do you help a child? And again, things are different today, but I believe that the emotional the bearing sometimes that kids do of their emotions and feeling like it's their fault and not really having a healthy role model in terms of a long-term relationship. How do we, who work with families, how do we help families do it? And and I'm not going to say my way is the right way, but it's what I did. And it was very, very beneficial to me. And I remember when I first started college thinking, and I knew I wanted to be a teacher, so that was already decided. But I remember thinking, I don't want to have children and go through what I went through as a child. I don't want to put my children through divorce. I don't want to go through having three blended families in four years. And we all know that, you know, none of us have full control. And I knew that I didn't have full control, but I thought, what can I do to make sure that at least I can do everything in my power that that doesn't happen? You know, and some people might say, oh, well, just marry the right person. Well, you know, (laughs) easier said than done, right? And people Mm -hmm. change. And and so I really started to quietly observe people I knew. These were people that I I went to college with, people that I ended up working with in my first few years of teaching before I met my husband, people who had been married a long time. And the people that I felt comfortable enough, there were some some teachers that I taught with, you know, they were probably in their 40s or 50s at that time. And I was 22. I was, you know, the baby on the block. And I would, once I felt comfortable enough with them and became friendly with them, I would ask them, could we have coffee? Could we meet after school? Could we do whatever? And I started interviewing them, for lack of a better word, and just saying, what do you think it takes to have a successful long-term relationship? And so I started just on my own. I mean, I don't even know that I wrote things down. I just talked to people to find out what other people were thinking. And I started, I've always been a voracious reader and I started reading books about relationships. And I was pretty sure that I was going to go back to college and get a master's degree in counseling. But I, I was still thinking of some other things. Well, my very first year teaching, I had a little boy whose parents were going through a divorce and they're there. It was, it was pretty volatile he was crying all the time. I felt helpless. There was another situation with another family where uh, there was another divorce and I got drugged into a custody fight and, uh, you know, into court. And I remember thinking, I am not prepared for this. I don't know how to serve these families. And I don't know if I'm saying the right thing or doing the right thing. And so a few years later, I did go back and get a master's in counseling. I met my husband while I was in graduate school. but and you don't have to go back and get a master's in counseling to be able to have a healthy, stable relationship. But my point is, I sought out the information. I sought out feedback from people who had done it. I observed and I didn't take it for granted. And here's the last thing I want to say about that. When I first started dating my husband, I was 24 and we didn't get married for two and a half years after that, but we started talking about marriage probably after, I don't know, eight months, 10 months, a year. And I remember saying to him, I'm not going to 
even continue this relationship unless I have a promise from you. And he said, what? And his parents had been married 50 years. So divorce was like his grandparents had stayed married. He, he didn't have anybody in his family who had been divorced. And he said, well, what is it? And I said, if we get married and one of us or both of us feel like we're at an impasse, that we're not communicating, things don't feel right, they're not flowing, that you will agree to go to a counselor with me. Because I want to, I want to nip it in the bud. I don't want to ever get to the point of no return. And will you do that? And he said yes. And that was forty years ago. And we did. We have gone. We have gone to you know different times in our lives when we just needed some help on solving some problems. And it was. It's a very, very healthy way to look at a relationship. It's not a weakness. It's not you know, you're not equipped, you don't know your spouse. It's about how can you do the very best that you can do for your relationship so that you can do the very best that you can for your children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do like the fact that in 2023, people are more apt to get counseling or go to a coach or go to a therapist. Because again, back in the day, you only went to stuff like that when you were crazy. Yeah. Go see a shrink. Go see a shrink. That's that's what it was. You need to go yeah. see a shrink because you're crazy. Which yeah. just r- reminds me of the um red rum guy. What's his name? You know what I'm talking about? The shining, the movie. Oh, Jack Nicholson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Like he he needed to go somewhere. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a little extreme, but yes. But you know, I, I just I, I just like I said, I, I hope that people are are getting hope from from my story that even if your kids, you know, have been through it, and even if you've been through it, it's it's not ever too late to to be able to have that stable, positive, long term relationship. Yeah, I know one thing. A friend of mine told me she had a daughter. The dad was not in the child's life, and so my friend didn't date. Um, she's a good bit older than I was, and she finally started dating when her kid turned like eighteen. Well, she ended up with cancer. Mm. And one of the last things she told me was, don't do what I did. Jackson, talking about my son, needs to see you in a happy, healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Because... And then you got me. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> because her daughter was used to her mom catering to every whim of her life. It, it was always her and her mom. Mm-hmm. And so when her daughter started dating, her mom's like, oh, well, I guess, you know, I can start dating kind of thing. And the little girl, which she wasn't a little girl at the time, she did not take too kindly to it, even though she was 18 at the time. Right. And, her, you know, her mom had raised her and never dated, like I said. But when she started dating, her daughter had an issue with it because it took time away from her that she felt she should be able to have with her mom if she wanted it. Yeah, I I agree with that. And, you know, I want to go back on something that we talked about earlier, because I don't want to give anybody the, the idea that I'm saying that there should never be conflict in a relationship and just, you know, have this peaceful kumbaya relationship. It's really, really healthy for a couple and for kids to see their parents or their bio parent and step parent have a conflict and disagree because nobody's going to agree about everything. But the healthy part, the key point about all of this is 
how is it resolved? Is it resolved by screaming and yelling and slamming doors and making threats? Or is it resolved in a calm, peaceful manner and people saying things like, I understand that you're not happy about this. Here's how I see it. You know, Mm -hmm. what can we do to come to some kind of resolution? And so I didn't say that earlier. And I I don't want it to come off that I'm, I'm just saying, oh, just don't have any conflicts. And, oh, no, I didn't take it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But think about it. How many people have you met that will say, my, when my parents got divorced, it shocked me because I never heard them argue. Exactly. They'll say, when my parents got divorced, <laughs> it didn't shock anybody. It was a long time coming, and they should have done it 30 years before they did. Yeah. They were miserable I, together. I would agree with you on that, that that's probably the biggest shock for so many kids is they didn't see it coming. And, and, you know, yes, you want to protect your children. You know, they don't have to hear the the ins and outs of your argument, not at all, mm-hmm. but it's also okay to, to, I know it, it, one of the things that I encourage families to do, and I did an entire show on this are to have family meetings where, you know, family meeting can just be a celebration of somebody, you know, achieved whatever, or somebody, found a new hobby they liked. It doesn't have to be an achievement. It can just be a joyful moment. It can be, you know, this is what's going on in our family right now. And we need everybody's input to try to solve the problem. And so we want our kids, whether they're bio kids, step kids, whatever, to feel included and that they can be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. Right. Now we tried family meetings. (laughs) Remember how that went, David? Yeah, I think we did it wrong. (laughs) Well, there's no right or wrong. There oh, was wrong. It was definitely wrong. Yeah. yeah we, if anybody's interested, I have, I think it was my fourth or fifth show. It's on my website. I can share that with you if you're interested. There's a, a whole show on family meetings if anybody's interested. But I want to say something about the inclusion. And that's because one of the strongest needs that we have as human beings is the need to feel that we belong. And if you look at, for example, gangs in this country you know a lot of a lot of the people I'm, I'm making huge generalities here but a lot of the people that join gangs are people that don't have that sense of belonging that tight family connection with their family members for you know a million reasons but one of we're social animals and one of the strongest needs that we have is to feel that and so if we can do that with our children our bio children our you know our stepchildren whatever the term is is okay we have a problem and let's solve this together let how can we work this out and everybody gets you know a piece of the pie in terms of how are we going to fix this mm-hmm. i'll give you one quick example a, a family that i'm working with uh it's a they're actually not married yet it's a, a a mom and a dad and their children are all in their 20s and i i've been working with them and one of the things last christmas was we're kind of nervous because we're not sure how this is going to go and they don't really know each other well. And there seems to be a little bit of, well, you're doing that and you're doing that, you know, whatever. And so one of the things that we talked about is how can you build this feeling of inclusion? And I suggested, you know what, start with dinner. Everybody brings something, everybody participates, everybody helps set the table, everybody it's not just you as the the mom of two of the kids, even though they're grown, do it. It's you make it a group activity and you know what, have some maybe games for afterwards, not to say we're going to play these games, but hey, this is here. If you want to plan ahead 
And they ended up having a very wonderful evening and they said dinner went very well and they played a couple of games. I don't know if they were board games or dice games or card games or whatever. But the point is sometimes to build this feeling of inclusion, we have to plan ahead. It doesn't just happen, you know, by osmosis because we wanted to. Right. And that's very important. Mm -hmm. Same thing with a stepmom. If she's feeling left out because bio dad and his child, the relationship they have, and she feels like the third wheel when the kid comes, she has to make those efforts to be included sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it may be as simple as saying, hey, little Susie, I like the shirt that you have today. Or if they are playing a game, if dad and the daughter are playing a game, hey, can I play with you? Mm-hmm. Not all the time, because I do think the bio parent and the stepchild or the bio parent and the bio kid need their alone time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to do something about it and not just, oh, I feel left out. Get involved. Do something. Exactly. And, and you know, you bring up such a great point, Lori. And, and I think one of the ways that I would encourage bio or step parents to think about it, whether it's for their children or themselves is about giving choices. One of the things that so many stepkids feel is that this was done to them. You know, they didn't have a say in their parents getting divorced. They didn't have a say in, you know, my dad married this person, my mom married this person. So giving choices, even about time, even about, you know, something like we just talked about, about playing a game. And so maybe maybe the, the bio parent could say to the child, would you like to play this game, you know, just the two of us? Or would you like this, you know, the step parent, you know, could they join us? And if they could join us, would you like them to join us for 10 minutes? Or you know what, could it be the whole time, however long we end up playing? It might seem really superficial, but giving children, and it it doesn't mean you give children control and say, oh, well, we'll just do whatever you want to do the way you want to do it. It's about giving guided choices, because that way you give the element of control, which is what most kids in a blended family or even just divorced and the parents aren't remarried, they feel that they've lost, they've lost their family. And one of the things that I say when I work with, with parents who are in a divorce situation or divorcing or blended families is your child didn't divorce you. They didn't divorce you. And it's really important, and this is something for step parents to understand that it's not about them, but it is, I believe, if it's if it's doable, if it's not such a toxic situation, that the child has the right to be able to be with both their parents at the same time, even if it's for 10, 15 minutes getting an ice cream at drop-off or pickup. And I think it's a really good goal to work toward. And it's not about being jealous of, oh, you saw your ex-wife or you saw your ex-husband. It's about the child. And my experience in working with families is if a child knows, I'll, I'll go back to the ice cream example. If they know on Friday evening or Friday after school, one parent is dropping me off to the other parent, that it's not just, okay, get out of the car with your bag. And, and I don't see my parents talk because that's hurtful. Or if a parent says to the child, tell your mother this or tell your father that, I encourage you don't do that. Your child is not the messenger. Your child 
should not be put in the middle to the very best of your ability. Now, if you have someone who's an alcoholic and you have someone where it's a danger and that, you know what you're saying, uh, uh-uh, that's not going to work until he or she cleans up their act. That's acceptable in the sense that you don't want anybody to get hurt if you feel that it could be a volatile situation. But as much as you can, let your child have, even if it's 10 minutes, like I said, I mean, you've got the extreme of parents that don't talk to each other and use their child as the messenger to, I know some families who they go on vacation with the two spouses because they want the children to have the, the ability to be with everybody and everybody gets along. So it's quite a continuum. That's great. But I also wonder, because I saw someone go through this, they went through a divorce. They decided to go hang out on Christmas morning at the ex's house with the ex and the new husband. And they brought the new girlfriend so everybody could play happy family on Christmas morning. And the kids weren't shuffled back and forth. And that seemed to work. Well, well, I guess we'd say the first couple of years, but then the kids started, well, dad should come to Thanksgiving. Dad should come to mom's birthday party. Dad should come to everything. So the kid wanted more of that. And so it almost set them up for unrealistic expectations. Almost like they wanted them back together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, for a lot of kids, that's their, their unspoken dream is that, you know, mom and dad will get back together and maybe the step parent is getting in the way of that. So Mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, you have to look at each situation individually. Again, it's a huge continuum with lots of variables. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it should be, you know, like I said, kumbaya for every every birthday, every holiday, every whatever, because that's probably not realistic either. But I think that I think that the all or nothing scenario doesn't do any child any good. Like I said, unless it's a situation where somebody is in danger of being hurt. And I agree with you. I do think that instead of just dropping the kid off and exchanging the kid without saying, hey, how you doing? is the kids, they pick up on it. They pick up on the vibes. So if you can have cordial enough of a relationship to go, hey, how are you doing? And your ex go, doing good. How are you? That is a positive interaction that the kid sees without having to play, as we would say, happy family for 10 minutes getting an ice cream. It just shows some type of positive interaction versus completely negative all the time. Right. But unfortunately, most of the people we deal with deal with situations where they just drop the kid off and run because it's such a bad situation. Well, and so many people are in survival mode and I understand that. And, and I think, you know, the key point about the whole conversation is again, it's not that there's a right or wrong, but if you think about it as a continuum with over here, you know, the, the first example that I gave about, you're not talking to the spouse and the child is the messenger and things are really toxic and Parents are saying bad things to the child about each other. And then you go to the other extreme. It's not, it's not like, oh, everybody wants to get to that other, uh, that other side where everybody's together and, you know, playing happy family, Mm -hmm. as you said. But I think the goal should be, okay, if this is where we are now, how can we make it two steps better? How can we just improve the family relationships and the communication for the sake 
of modeling healthy communication and, and relationships for our children and not to put our kids in the middle. And right. I think if everybody can just look at how can I make it a little bit better? Not, okay, now I have to go have an ice cream or now I have right, to right. No, It's just about how you always remember your child, unless there's, you know, a rare situation where, you know, somebody's beating somebody or something like that. And the child is saying, let's get out of here. But in most situations, the child didn't ask for that. So you want to try to say, okay, how can I, for the benefit of my child, maybe lose my pride, you know, and it's also about that communication. And um, let me say one other thing about, I did a show about this on on co-parenting. Uh, it was actually the show I did before I did your show. And it it's the idea of discipline between two families. And so let's say, for example, there's a child that goes back and forth between the two steps and the, the two bios. And the child does something, didn't do their homework, whatever it is, and gets grounded at that house from electronics, say. I don't believe it's okay to say, okay, now you're going to your mom's house or now you're going to your dad's house. And oh, that that parent is, is just going to ignore the fact that you were grounded for doing whatever. That I really, really encourage parents to, when it comes to discipline, when it comes to shared responsibilities, not to allow the child to be the manipulator, and I, I don't I don't mean manipulator in terms of like a controlled, they're doing it on purpose, but oh, I'm going to be at dad's house this week, or I'm going to be at mom's house this week, so I'm not going to have to be grounded, or I'm not going to have to lose out on whatever, but that there needs to be some kind of level of communication where there's carryover, maybe it's not exactly the same, but I don't think it does a child very much good to have a changing target, you know, where every week it's different based on where they are in terms of their expectations, the parents' expectations for the child. Mm -hmm. You know, you're still the parents. Yeah, I know in my situation that that never worked, even though we tried to have a meeting and come up with those things to say exactly what you just brought up, which is, you know, we're going to have everything the same is, is pop is as much as possible, get up at the same time, go to bed at the same time, do the homework, the whole nine same yards. Same punishment for bad grades. Yeah, everything's going to carry over. Oh my God, it never happened. It was the complete opposite. It was if he put them on restriction, if they made a C, it was, oh, well, if you make a D. Bedtime here was eight, then it was nine. Yeah, it was, it never, never worked. And, and I'll tell you another mistake that I made is that I would say something like, for example, let's say it was a, let's say it was a Friday and they, we always did a changeover at school on Monday. So I'd drop them off and she would pick them up or vice versa. So let's say it was a Friday and they did something. And I would say, for example, you know, you're grounded for a week. Well, what I would then look at is go, okay, well, I only have them for two more days. So when they come back another week later, then we'll pick back up where we left off with the punishment. That was not something that I could stick with because as soon as they came back, I'm glad that they were back. And I wanted to, you know, I just kind of want everything to be fine and right. let's start all over and have a clean slate. And, and it just became a lot of times where I would tell them this is the punishment's going to be this, but it was, it was mostly things I could never actually follow through with. Yeah. I would have been much better off saying, you're grounded for a, for an hour 
and sticking with that rather than saying a week and then knowing I couldn't stick with it past a day or two. You know, honestly, it boils down to a lot of times the bio parents discussed frustration, anger, hate towards the other bio parent outweighs what's best for the child. Oh, yeah. That's it in a nutshell. And I just want to go back to what you said, David, because I think a lot of parents do that. And whether you're two bio parents raising your kids together or step parents, sometimes when we we ground our kids, you know, put them on restriction, whatever it is, and we say, okay, you can't do this for a week, whatever. When, when you get over that, and, and again, it's, it's, there's so many variables with age, how many times did that, you know, did this happen? But there's a lot of research about long-term restriction or grounding really doesn't work because by the third day, they're like, I don't even know what I'm grounded for anyway, you know? And so I think meaningful conversations about the why this isn't appropriate and it's because this isn't good for you, you know, whatever the situation is and taking away those electronics or doing whatever for a short time, like you just said, is much more powerful in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we did it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it, I, I encourage parents don't try not to say you did it wrong. We all, you know, it's, it's that old quote by, um, oh gosh, I know his name. Will Smith. <laughs> no, no, no. I know it like I know my own name. And really Wonka. <laughs> do what you can with what you have where you are. Yeah. Hopefully all of us can say, wow, you know, I know a lot more about whatever it is today than I did five years ago. We we grow and we learn. And I think it's important to also show that that grace to our kids and say, yes. you know what? This is the third time that such and such happened. And and here are the reasons that we don't believe this is a good scenario for you. And it's because we love you. And, you know, I know there are parents that are going to hear that and say, oh yeah, right. That's not going to work with my child. But I think if you are consistent and you work on building that relationship with your child, your, your stepchild, your bio child, whatever it is, it will become more and more powerful because we don't respond. You know, think about as adults, we don't respond well to, oh, great. Now I can't have that for two weeks. Well, you know, after the first day, it kind of loses its its impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then you're like, well, you know what? I, after three days, I can do without it. It doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, I'll yeah. show you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of my kids, it was like, you could take everything from him. He didn't care. He just did nothing. None of that phased him. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, uh, it's it's a journey for sure. And I would say one thing that we did do right is that Anytime we saw something was not effective, we started looking at other iterations mm-hmm. instead of just, okay, we didn't do it right. So let's do it again, do it more, you know, so let's drop back and let's see why this is not working. And let's, mm-hmm. let's do a different iteration of this and see what we can come up with. And that's how we ended up even leading ourselves down the path of creating the whole Nacho Parenting Method was that process. Right. Well, Carrie, tell people where they can find you. Well, thank you for asking. My website is my name, carriekling.com, and that's K-A-R-I-K-L-I-N-G. And if you go to Parenting GPS on the menu bar, you will see my shows. I have had uh, national and global experts in all things parenting, both of you included. Your show is on there. Our show is also on Roku on the Your America TV channel. And Hopefully, by the time this is aired, it will be on Apple and Amazon television as well. Nice. Great. 
Well, thank you again for being a guest. And it was nice speaking with you as always. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure. And I just want to say thank you to both of you for doing what you do and being the lifesaver, really the life jacket for those parents that are trying to have really positive blended families and you're leading the way and you took your heartache that you went through at the beginning and turned it into that lifesaver for for other people. So thank you for doing that for others. Well, thank you because you're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. You are doing the same thing for parents. My pleasure. Thank you. As you heard, Carrie mentions family meetings. And David and I said, oh, we did it wrong. So our family meetings basically turned into B blank beep sessions (laughs) about me. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot to talk about there. David. You are going to drive me insane. Oh, I know what you're thinking because the way your head's shaking. Insane in the membrane. Insane <laughs> in the brain. <laughs> Y'all, I'll tell you what. Let me let me take a little <laughs> sidetrack here. She knows me so well. <laughs> she can read my mind at the just worst times sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about what happened in church. Yeah. I am. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll leave it at that because uh, David was misbehaving in church. <laughs> and anybody that knows him personally can f- easily figure out what that's about. Uh, I, just okay. think I just think it's funny how, how well we know each other. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not that hard to figure out sometimes. And we do finish each other's sentences, too. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you decide to have family meetings, they need to be positive. Don't ask open-ended questions because you will get all the negative. (laughs) Y'all tell us what you think about Lori this week. Yeah, really. (laughs) Or how are you doing? No, because it'll be, we would be doing fine if Lori wasn't here. Or we were doing fine until Lori told us to do our dishes. Yeah, you almost have to say things like, name two things that happened to you today that were positive. Yes. That is a good way to start a family meeting. And I'm not saying they all have to be positive, but maybe the five positives, one negative. Mm. Would, you know, make the kids or ask the kids and the parents too, step parents and by a parent, five good things that have happened this week, for instance. And then say, what's one thing you wish was better? Mm -hmm. Well, it has to be one of those things where it, it is more about building a positive interaction among your family. One of the ways I think a lot of people will make this mistake, and I believe we probably did some of this, was you start having family meetings when things are bad. Mm-hmm. So, all right, y'all, we're having a family meeting, which is just another way of saying we're going to fuss and complain about something. And so if I'm calling a family meeting as the the father in the house, stepfather in the house. And I'm like, we're having a family meeting. And then I'm fussing because X, Y, and Z. Then it should not shock me that when I call another family meeting and I ask the kids, how was your day? That I don't get the same kind of interaction back because they're going, Hey, I thought family meetings was about griping and complaining. (laughs) Exactly. Because they relate a family meeting to being called to the principal's office. Yeah. Or, Even 
even spouses and significant others, like if you called me or sent me a message and was like, we need to talk, everybody thinks that that's negative, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's like, oh, this is, this is going to be a great conversation. I can't wait to get home. You're like, right. oh, Lord, what now? And Carrie does have a show. It was episode six, and it was released in March of 2023. That talks about family meetings. So you might want to check that out before you have one. Absolutely. Because have a meeting about the meeting. Have a meeting about the meeting. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us again next week. And remember... Life is good when you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.